Welcome to Redefiners, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanas Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. And I'm Clark Murphy, Chief Executive Officer. Nanas and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership. In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders. Also, you can answer this one question. How are you redefining your leadership? Perhaps the boldest question yet. Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, we are going to be talking with the lady that was mandated to lead the global COVID vaccine rollout to protect the world's most vulnerable populations. Clark, I am fascinated to talk to this lady and hear about what life has been like over the last 18 months, given such an enormous task has been on her shoulders. I can't believe it. I think about the pressure I feel like I've been under, we've been under, whether it's work or family or health or testing, whatever, okay? I'm a little humbled. I'm a lot humbled, in fact. She literally is trying to save the world and get the vaccines to the people who really have the hardest time getting, receiving them. So I'm fascinated. Also, a little bit about kind of style and personality. She's got to be cool under fire with so many countries and governments and NGOs circling her all the time. So I'm pretty excited. I couldn't agree more. And I'm also fascinated to hear what her kids Think of their mom saving the world. Clark, tell our listeners who we are going to be talking to today. Our guest today is Aurelia Guillen, who is the managing director of the office of the COVAX facility. COVAX is a joint endeavor of the World Health Organization and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Aurelia leads the coordination of procurement and delivery of COVID-19 vaccines for 190 participating economies to ensure the equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines for all those economies of financial means. In her role, she oversees almost $10 billion in pledges from countries around the world to support COVAX. Prior to COVAX, she served as Gavi's Managing Director for Vaccines, and before that, she worked in various leadership roles at GlaxoSmithKline. Aurelia, welcome to Redefiners. Hello, Clark. Thank you for having me. Aurelia, we'd like to start and talk a little bit about you and your career. Um, You started life on the finance side with one of the world's largest um, big pharma organizations, GSK, before moving to their work with their vaccines policy, before ultimately then making the switch to the nonprofit world and, and moving on to Gavi. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated that switch? And was it something, was this a passion that you always had? Was this part of your planned career path? So it's very much been a passion for me throughout my career to think about equitable access to medicines and vaccines. Um, But uh, as you stated, originally I started my work in finance. I had uh, parents that worked in a bank, so I think I was uh, trying to follow what I thought was a dutiful pathway. But I think very quickly I realized that although I enjoyed the technical skills in finance, it was really my fascination for uh, 
on the one hand, the impact of medicines and vaccines, and then on the other hand, this equity question around um, access to medicines in developing countries that was driving everything that I was doing. And so uh, over time within pharma, um, I retrained, did a master's, um, and then that led me to switch over from the private sector in the pharma industry to the Gavi Alliance. As a leader at GSK, you've, you've got goals and budgets and profits and revenues, and one has to drive as a leader a certain way. Coming to Gavi and COVAX, how does it affect you as a leader or how you lead? I think coming to COVAX, I think the big leadership question is around how one garners consensus, energy, motivation behind the mission that COVAX is trying to save. And that is really around having equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines globally, and particularly for the countries and populations who without COVAX would have zero access to COVID-19 vaccines. And I think from a leadership perspective, the question is how one brings together a very diverse set of actors and a very diverse set of skills around um, this mission and recognizing that we're not starting from scratch. We're using organizations that have been in existence before and how you harness the capabilities around this new vision and in terms of answering the, the pandemic crisis uh, in unforeseen sort of pressures and, and speed. Can I ask you to elaborate a bit more on that, Aurelia? Because, you know, to your point, it's it's a diverse set of stakeholders that you're managing. You don't have a command and control kind of over them. You can't tell them what to do. It's all about influence. Has that? How much of a challenge has that been? Has it been difficult? Have you wanted to pull your hair out at times? What's been the trick to kind of influence those external stakeholders? Indeed. I mean, I think this is where uh, a collaborative style of leadership is really critical. And in a way, I think this is why the COVAX partnership with having my organization, Gavi, which is a, an, an alliance in and of itself, becomes very important because for 20 years, Gavi has been working around mobilizing the public health community, the funders, the developing countries, the technical partners, civil society organizations around a common mission, recognizing the organizations have very diverse agendas, the very diverse um, ways of approaching what is the same question in terms of access to vaccines generally for Gavi and now within COVAX, access to COVID-19 vaccines. So I think understanding a little bit how organizations can really rally around the common cause and being able to build consensus around what each organization brings, if it's technical expertise, if it's funding, if it's the ability to advocate and harnessing that energy towards a common, not just vision, but then much more specifically milestones, deliverables, I think is the critical path. I think the other thing to recognize is being respectful of the organization's constraints, because when one deals with a very diverse set of actors, I think understanding the room for maneuver is really critical and being able to work within those, I think ultimately leads to a better result. Aurelia, can you tell us a little bit about what sort of a huge undertaking this all must have been? To quote Time magazine, they say that your job is to ensure that life-saving vaccines reach as many people as possible. Wow, that is some task. Now, my mandates have never been on that same scale, but there have been 
you know, numerous times over the last 20 years where work, life, you know, the pressure of everything has just become a bit too much. And I've just sort of had to call time out and, and taken some time out. Tell us a little bit about the pressures that you felt over the last 18 months, both on the personal side as well as the professional side and how you coped with it all. I will say that right from the beginning of the pandemic and still to this day, every day has its fair share of doubts and big moments of stress. And over the course of the pandemic, the natures of the problems evolves, but there's always an amount of feeling sometimes a little bit out of my depth. And so if anything, sometimes it's about getting a little bit comfortable with that, mm -hmm. as well as realizing that it is not all on one person. So uh, indeed, I have a very specific role. I'm very honored to have a specific role within COVAX, but one does it with one's leadership, uh, one's board. Uh, one does it with pulling together incredible teams with very talented individuals at lightning speed because everyone is very much motivated around a single purpose. So I would say, you know, for me, it was a very daunting prospect. Also balancing the personal considerations. I, I have uh, young children who still need a lot of hands-on care mm. and making sure that I was going to be able to balance all of my professional and personal obligations, I think is something I thought about and discussed very closely with my family before I jumped in with two feet, uh, so to speak. But I think it's also a time where I think many people in their respective roles have really felt the need to step up to an urgent and very pressing call and that for a time being, it's a little bit almost like a, a, a war effort. I think it yeah. demands a lot of personal sacrifice for, uh, for, for, for a wider goal. Aurelia, can I ask, do your children actually know what you do? I'll share a quick anecdote. I caught my son um, last weekend rather sweetly telling his friends how he was really proud of his mom because she was now on the radio. And I actually had to stop myself from butting into his conversation and correcting him and saying it's actually technically not the radio and a podcast. Nonetheless, it was very sweet. It warmed my heart. Do your children know? Do they know what you really do? Uh, so my older son knows more about vaccinology at age seven than I think I did when I was 24. <laughs> so uh, he has a fairly good sense. Um, my younger child, who is now four, I think has lived the pandemic more in the sense of asking the question uh, every day, when when is the virus finished, maman? Yeah. And I think mm. he understands that it's uh, extremely demanding for my time. And of recently, he's been asking when he's going to get the vaccine. I'm not sure he fully understands what that means. But they certainly Sweet. have a sense that something important is going on, obviously, around them and, and that my work is linked to it. It is a war effort. It's like the Berlin airlift, except to 190 different economies. It's unbelievable. And I'd like to think, you know, we're doing our bit as well at Russell Reynolds Associates. We're part of the Go Give One campaign where for $5 donation, it provides a vaccine to someone in a country that can't afford it. We're all in the effort together. And that brings me to a question, Aurelia. Gavi's COVAX has a goal to buy and distribute 2 billion doses of the COVID vaccine to low-income countries by the end of 2021, unprecedented to mobilize the resources necessary. How much of the infrastructure was in place before the pandemic and how much have you had to figure out on the fly to get solutions as you go? It's a very good question because I think there's a little bit of both, as you say. 
some aspects I think are very new in the sense of having a global framework in answer to a, a pandemic. And I think uh, the realization that every country doing what it could for itself was not going to be the answer to ending the, the acute phase of the pandemic. But there are already a number of building blocks that were already in place in terms of the expertise that was in place to have the fastest vaccine development for coming through the research and development pipeline, being able to procure at scale large quantities. So COVAX um, is on track to buying and distributing 2 billion doses of COVID vaccine through to the end of 2021. And then onwards, we have line of sight towards 5.6 billion doses. And then being able to use the existing infrastructure for rolling out routine vaccines and being able to leverage it to roll out COVID vaccines. So it's been a combination of both. I think clearly to be able to take it to the scale that we have today, so over 190 participants, $10 billion worth of financing mobilized and converted into procurement. Some innovations have had to take place uh, in terms of the level of scale up, in terms of looking at some of the mechanisms for indemnification and liabilities. I think for us, the hope is that although we don't know when there will be a next pandemic, I think it's an evolutionary certainty that there will be a next pandemic. And so how mm. do we use what we've learned and built through COVAX to put in place and have a better response next time so that we're not wasting time raising funding, we're not wasting time putting in place some of the pieces that we're missing this time. Can this infrastructure be used for other healthcare services in the future, or you really think it's focused on, on pandemic or viruses or diseases specifically? I think there's probably a number of different uses that it would be interesting to have, I think, a global dialogue around. So clearly we've used the partners of COVAX, so WHO, CEPI, Gavi, also UNICEF, who have the knowledge around vaccines to create an end-to-end -end solution, if you like, from vaccine R&D through to delivery. And then I guess, you know, beyond health itself, how uh, this model of partnership could be applied to some of the other big problems that the globe is facing. I think if it's a source of inspiration, that would be really great as well. Can I pick up on that? Um, so as you said, look, we've, the pandemic has brought unprecedented collaboration between your sort of pharma organizations as well as the, the private public partnerships. Going forward, what you know, what else could we inspire? What what could this situation inspire in terms of collaborations going forward? We've had really interesting partnerships with uh, using things like uh, blockchain technology uh, to ensure data integrity. We're looking at using satellite imagery to identify communities who may not be mapped in official systems. So there's so many other aspects, I think, that we can build on and really help strengthen the health systems overall beyond a pandemic setting. One of the things that I think has been interesting is the issues of sustainability seem to have been crisper, more present, more visible, particularly in this pandemic, whether it's climate change, global health, water, poverty, etc. The public partnership that Gavi represents fits in a bigger view of how the world could 
hit some of these sustainability goals. How can the model be used as a framework with other global challenges as related to sustainability? I think all of the very, very big defining challenges of our time, if you like, are broader than any specific sector can handle. And I think really it's one where the combination of government focus, private sector focus, the public-private partnerships, also I think here the role of civil society is also uh, really important. It's about creating this platform for dialogue that is made concrete through financing through the ability to program and then to implement that really brings everything together. But for the types of issues that we've mentioned, these are going to be long-term proposals to to be tackling anyway. So just picking up on that, so they're long-term and the private sector, people worry about the quarter or the year. And we're asked all the time from board members and chief executives, and they say, what can I do as a private sector leader Where do we step in? What's your advice for a private sector leader staying in the private sector about how they can help with some of these issues? I think it would be very simply focus on what you do best and then focus on how that can be built to serve a broader social goal, so to speak. I get a lot of approaches from private sector companies who are looking for philanthropic uh, endeavors. And of course, I think philanthropic private sector endeavors have an important part, but um, particularly for companies who work within the health sector, it's about how one is able to use the core business to contribute and to maybe redefine some of the business models that have been used over time. And I think this is a little bit sort of what the genesis of Gavi was when it was created 20 years ago. There was clearly a market failure where pharma companies were not developing vaccines with the developing world in mind, or the vaccines were completely unaffordable. And it was really about turning that proposition to say, actually, how can this be part of the core business model? Because vaccines in the developing world bring a large volume. It may not be as profitable as other segments, but it helps ensure visibility and predictability for production of vaccines, which is an extremely long process. And that has a value. It may be a different value. So, in fact, the, the pharma industry has had one of its redefining moments as they realized what vaccines could do for the world, but yet folded into a bigger business. You, you talk about redefining. I found that really interesting. Absolutely. Going from what wealthier private sector leaders can do to what wealthier countries can do, uh, Aurelia, um, I've got a sort of big question for you on, on sort of your view of global equity, if, if you think about it. What difference does it make, given that we live in a completely interconnected world where an outbreak anywhere, as we've seen, has the potential for an outbreak everywhere? If we want to get rid of this virus and prepare for future viruses, what do you think developed countries need to do to make sure that everyone has access to vaccines in healthcare going forward? 
from my perspective, anything that we can do to stop prolonging the pandemic is going to be important in the short term. And then there's maybe a more medium and long term view. In the short term, we know that the richer countries have a significant surplus of doses available now. They are vaccinating large parts of their population and will, even with a fully vaccinated population, still have surplus doses. And so I think deploying those doses and donating those doses through COVAX is going to be the single most effective intervention a country can make in terms of keeping the the pandemic in check, making sure that all of the doses that are available are redeployed where they're most needed, particularly in lower income countries, I think is critical to make sure that we can save lives. We can also lift some of the pressure that we're seeing on very, very stretched healthcare systems. So we've been very fortunate to have, I think, some very meaningful announcements of those donations from wealthier countries. And then I think in the more medium and long term, looking at what is the level of production that needs to be available globally is another important factor and thinking about how we can have a more resilient global landscape for manufacturing and, and production of vaccines, I think is important. But that's going to obviously take a little bit more time. I think keeping that awareness so that it can be built into the DNA of leaders and their reflexes a little bit in the same way that I think environmental sustainability considerations are starting to really permeate into the fiber of organizations. I think that would really amount to meaningful progress. We'll be right back. But first, we're going to hear from Simon Kingston, a managing director in our London office. We're nearly two years into the decade of action needed to deliver the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. The pace of that action needs to accelerate, and the engine will be the private sector in partnership with social impact organizations. Many leaders recognize the need, but how well are these partnerships working, and what can we learn from progress so far? Here at Russell Reynolds Associates, we recently analyzed the challenges and opportunities for effective corporate social sector partnerships, and three key lessons emerged. First, the need to establish a pro-partnerships culture in social impact organizations. There's a cultural shift needed that recognizes the mutual benefits of partnership and fosters trust where it's earned towards commercial partners. Secondly, a focus on strengths. A capabilities orientation that recognizes the comparative advantages of each side will maximize partnership impact. And thirdly, the need for clarity and specificity. A clear value proposition underpins successful collaborations and ensures that decision-making stays focused on maximum mutual impact rather than individual organizational needs. To learn more about how your organization can create public-private partnerships with real impact, go to russellreynolds.com insights. And now back to our conversation with Aurelia. Aurelia, as we've uh, talked to many people on this Redefiners podcast, they've reflected on moments in their career. Have there been a redefining moment in your career, either when you decided to take on this role or being in this role that that gave you a defining moment, a moment of reflection that really has struck you? I think it would be difficult for me to talk about a redefining moment in the singular. Mm -hmm. I think there are probably several moments that I would think of. And 
I think I would preface it to say that I've been very fortunate, I think, to have many brilliant and very supportive leaders throughout my career, including now with my CEO, Seth Berkeley, but also in my early career days. And I think many of them have contributed, I think, to giving me the confidence to step out outside of the the usual trajectories. And so I think first redefining moment is probably moving away from a more traditional finance career into a career which didn't really even have a name at the time. The work that I started doing is called market shaping. And that was really around how to bring the sort of commercial forces to apply themselves to access to vaccines. And so I think that was probably a a key moment. Aurelia, thinking about the future, would you, any sort of ideas, any sort of passions that you want to make sure you kind of cover in your career? Do you think you'd ever go back to the private sector? I think one of the best pieces of career advice uh, that I was given early on is do something you find interesting today and it will lead you to doing something interesting tomorrow. And so I I think for me, that's really the way that I would approach things in terms of really focusing on, on the content of the work and it being in line with my values and my beliefs. I think one of the the spaces more generally that I'm interested in is this question around collaborative leadership and how it plays out at a personal level and how it plays out at an organizational level. I also have quite a a strong view in terms of gender issues and how that interacts with questions of collaborative uh, leadership and how we can use more collaborative ways in terms of uh, helping uh, female leaders emerge. I have to say that is wonderful advice. When you look at some of the most successful people that we work with, it's not been that they've kind of had a very predetermined idea of their career. They've done exactly, as you said, something that they're very passionate about, that they're interested in, have had impact and sort of moved on from there. The most inspired, the happiest people are the ones that that find a path um, that shows great leadership, I think, because they're so passionate about it. Totally agree. Thinking again about the future, and you mentioned this earlier, COVID caught everyone by surprise, individuals, businesses, governments. And if we've learned anything from this experience, as you said, is that we need to be much better prepared should it happen again. What do you think we need to do to prepare for another potential, sort of for for the potential next pandemic or global health crisis? Unfortunately, I think just given the nature of the population movements um the you know deforestation urbanization all of the factors that have made that what may have been in the past more localized um small outbreaks or small epidemics um has the potential to turn into pandemics uh, much more rapidly we spent in covax a lot of time, and that was very precious time at the beginning, mobilizing around a multilateral response vision. And we've had very good response, over 190 countries. But I think getting ahead of that and having a commitment right from the start, I think would have saved us precious time. I think the other aspect has been around financing and making sure that financing can be unblocked very rapidly so that 
as rich countries were placing their orders with vaccine manufacturers, we were still raising financing. And so obviously we didn't have the first place in the queue, even though one would argue that we represent populations and countries who have the highest need and, and the highest toll. And then finally, I think at an individual and community level, also being agents of change and, and, and helping others understand what the ins and outs of the pandemic are, helping with acceptance of vaccination are all things that we can help and contribute to. Yeah. Aurelia, I would love to hear more. Um, there are an infinite number of avenues that we can go down, given what you've just said, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, and before we let you go, one thing that we do with all our guests is um, a set of rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> you have no worries. Yeah. What you deal with every day is nothing compared to rapid fire questions. This is easy. Here's the first one. Aurelia, what does being a redefiner mean to you? It means setting your own rules and making those rules work for you to go to where you're going to next. Fantastic. The next one, Aurelia, can you describe yourself in only three words? Now you're testing my ability to count to three. <laughs> this is a challenge. First word might be speechless. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm um, passionate. I'm hardworking. Mm -hmm. If a hyphenation can count as only one word. We'll give you that as one. Um, and I'm... Joyous. I think the importance of joy in one's life is very important. What is the title of the book you're currently reading? I started reading Sapiens in early 2020, and I am still on page 224. I hope I will be able to uh, complete it um, uh, before... The, the, the pandemic finishes, but um, maybe if the pandemic finishes quickly, that'll be a good sign yeah. if I don't get to the end before then. Well, I started reading a biography of Louis Pasteur at the beginning of COVID to understand like where it all started. And um, I'm maybe on page 124, not even 224. So more power to you. Aurelia, what is your hidden talent? I'm... In my dreams, I would be a long distance runner. I think it's a talent I still have to exploit because I don't get out and run as much as I would like to. So it's a talent that's even hidden from me at the moment. There you go. Uh, who's your personal hero? Uh, Ngozi Ngonjo Iwela. Uh, she is the uh, former Gavi board chair. Um, I find her one of the most inspiring women um, because I think she's been a, a person who's been a, a an African woman leader in many different instances where I think the world was not set out to have an African woman leader in those positions. And I think she's been able to do it in a way where she's always stayed very true to herself. And I think she's been hugely inspiring to many women, many Africans uh, across uh, the world uh, uh, as a result. Um, and she is really someone, whoever she speaks to in whatever context, she will treat with the same dignity and respect. And I find that, um, yeah, absolutely admirable. I couldn't agree more. She's a truly awesome lady. 
And she actually talked about sustainable development at a time when honestly sustainable was not even on the agenda. I actually think what you said before as well, being true to yourself um, is something that I have learned over the years. Really, thank you for joining us today. The incredible work you're doing to save lives around the world. It's inspiring. It's so necessary. Uh, The lessons learned and and the guideposts you've given us today about how we go forward, enormously helpful. Um, We we speak for many others in saying thank you for what you're doing and and may those long runs come uh, with the endurance you have of, of the last 18 months. Thank you so much for joining us today on Redefiners. Thank you. Thank you, Clark. And thank you, Manaz. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time.